Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. This is episode 57. We're the Nelsons. I'm Sean. And I'm Lynette. Today we are so excited to share an interview with an adoptee. Her name is Sarah and she is from Pennsylvania. She's a Chinese-born adoptee and her story is wonderful and I love the work she's doing now. Yeah, Sarah is a social worker who works primarily coaching teenage adoptees. She is also in the process of becoming certified to be a therapist. In this episode, she shares her thoughts and advice for the adoption community to better help listen to and validate adoptees. And particularly, she talks about teen adoptees since that is who she primarily works with. I just loved hearing this conversation between Lynette and Sarah and uh, I really think that you'll enjoy it. I think she's very well spoken and shares in just really clear language that paints a really good picture. Yeah, she was so fun to talk to. I loved doing this interview and just so happy to share it. So we'll turn the time over to Sarah. here on the podcast with Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Mm, sure. So to start off, can we have you introduce yourself, share some things about you? Sure. So hi, my name is Sarah Odisio. I um, live in Lancaster County. I was adopted from China. I know I'll get into that more later, but um, I live in Lancaster County in Pennsylvania and a little bit about myself. I live um, here with my husband, Jared, and we have an interesting um, mix of cultures, even within our family, because my husband, he grew up in Peru, but he's um, was born in the Netherlands. So he's half Dutch, half Peruvian. And then I am 100% Chinese. <laughs> and so we have our own little culture of our family within Lancaster County. And so I, at home, I live with him and then we have two cats. Um, we have one big fluffy cat named Misty and then one tiny little new kitten named Milo. And then we have a little hamster too. So that is our family as of now. Yeah. And what are some things that you enjoy? Some hobbies? And so I, along with Jared, we both like to visit new places and try new foods. I know People are saying, oh, I'm a foodie, I'm a foodie, but I would truly say I am a foodie. <laughs> and I just love trying new food. I'm game to try any type of food and any variation. And um, along with that, we like music as well. So we like going to concerts and anything with music and food is like a huge plus for both of us. And then I like being outside and taking walks. And yeah, that's kind of what we like, what I like and Jared too. <laughs> that's awesome. Have you guys found a way to kind of incorporate food with all of the different backgrounds that you bring together? Yes, I think as as I got married and I started to try to cook more for him and I and him cooking as well, we like to try different foods and, and we like to cook too, not just eat out all the time. And our favorite ethnic food is anything in the Eastern Asian, Hispanic type of food. We'd love like any type of staple of rice meal, rice and meat and like yeah. those type of spices more than like mashed potatoes or like a steak or something. So, so we definitely have come to love like the, the food of like Asian food, Indian food, Hispanic food, all of that. So very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm hungry. So yeah, nice. right. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right. So 
can you share your adoption story? Whatever you want to share. We know that you're an adoptee, but yeah. Yeah. So I was adopted from China. It's um in the Yangzhou, Yangzhou, China. It uh, people most mostly I have to tell people it's near Shanghai. They're like, well, where is that in China? And the two main places, um, Shanghai or Beijing, and then there's Hong Kong. That's kind of a little separate. And I'm closer to Shanghai, so I'm more in the suburbs area. Um, I was a in an orphanage uh, setting until I was, as far as I know, until from close to birth, probably until um, 13 months of age. And that's when my parents adopted me. And it's what's interesting, as I've worked with adoptive families now, I have been able to hear different stories. And a lot of times, I don't know if this is more common in maybe like South Korean adoptions or whatnot, but a lot of times um, the babies now have been brought to the U.S. and then met at the U.S. airport. For the family, my parents, they actually went to China. Now, this was back in 1997 when I was adopted. And they flew to China. They also did that trip, or I might as well say that trek, because it's quite a trip, <laughs> um, for my sister, who was adopted before me, not biologically related. And so both times they flew to China and they spent probably about a couple weeks or so getting to know the culture. And I find that to be a really cool part of my story because when I, I try to ask my parents um, on different occasions, what do you remember? They have pictures of like some of their sightseeing adventures as well as when they were trying to like delve into the culture as much as they could within two weeks of being there. And so yeah, and so I was adopted at 13 months old. Um, I was in an orphanage setting. So I, I've noticed now that I've learned more about trauma, I've noticed how maybe that type of setting has really been um, a significant part of of the trauma. I, I wouldn't say, as far as my mom knew, the orphanage was a good one. As Sometimes there's really awful settings for orphanages, but this one, as best as she could tell, they, again, they wouldn't let her in. So that was a whole nother thing. But as best as she was told, <laughs> and from what she could tell, it was they did the best they could there. But even when people are doing the best they can, there's probably a lot more babies than there are um, arms to hold them. So so all that to say, I, I think that there is a lot of um, there is a lot of trauma just from being in that type of orphanage setting. So after that, I grew up in the Lancaster County, um, Pennsylvania area. Um, it's, it's, it's Amish country. <laughs> that's like, when I talk to people, that's like the only thing that they might like understand or connect when they hear Lancaster. So I, I didn't grow up with the Amish, but we had some like neighbors who were, <laughs> but I grew up in, in, um, a, a Christian home. My mom was a, a Christian school teacher. And then she became a stay at home mom when my sister and I, were adopted and then my dad was a pastor so we grew I grew up in a a Christian home next to the church so I just kind of remember my childhood being um instead of going to a park for a playground our playground was running around the big church building and playing in the church attic and then also like learning to ride a bike in the cemetery across the street <laughs> you know so that was kind of like my childhood I went to like a small Christian school growing up and I remember being um, one of the only Asians in my class and just it was kind of like yeah just kind of just in the area it wasn't as big of a thing until maybe 
my age and after, then I think adoptions kind of skyrocketed, except especially adoptions in China. Um, one other piece, I guess what's interesting is my sister, actually, she's two years older than me, but in within our county, she was the first um, girl adopted from China. So I remember my, I don't remember this, I wasn't there then, but I was told and my parents have a news article that was written about them adopting my sister. And she's only two years older than me. So it kind of goes to show within my local area, my sister is the oldest generation of um, female adopted from China. So I think that's kind of interesting. And yeah, adoptions after me, they just have more, not a lot, but they have more accessibility to like finding some more answers. And so the era and the year I was born, it's really scarce, scarce. Information is very scarce to find. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit about my adoption. Interesting. So was your sister adopted from the same region in China as you? She wasn't. And, and what's also interesting is she was in a more of a foster care setting not to go too much into like her story since it's her story I have been able to compare the differences though and we're also just very different people and different personalities but but I have seen some differences in maybe what could have pointed to me being raised in an orphanage setting and for a longer period of time because my sister she was adopted at six months of age so not her whole first year of life was in China and she was in a foster care setting. So she did have that one-on-one care um, from her caregiver. And so, yeah, and she's actually closer to Beijing area. So we are okay. different regions. We look different. Um, some people, they're like, you guys look the same. I was like, no, but we don't. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> but we are not biologically related at all in any way. So, all right. Um, one more follow-up question. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember Chinese at all? Do you remember anything about being in yeah. China? Yeah. That's a good question. I I don't remember anything, but from what my mom had told me is when once they adopted me in the hotel we were staying in, they would have, I, I think it was Sesame Street playing on the TV and it was and it was in Chinese, yeah. obviously. And she said I was very engaged and like, oh. and like attuned to it. And she she thought she thought I, I definitely did understand. And I probably would have understood like the aunties. What that's what they call the um the orphanage caregivers. I probably understood them. Um, but yeah, I don't remember any of that. It's so interesting when you're a baby being adopted, and and then you're like, what are my memories versus what are like my parents have told me versus what I've seen in pictures and what I've tried to like, am I making up a memory just from seeing a picture? So it's really hard to differentiate that. I probably don't actually remember anything though, because I was only a year old, but yeah, it's cool to know. Oh, I probably did understand Chinese at one point. Yeah. So, but I don't know any now. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when do you think you first realized that you were adopted? So, for my situation, it was never a question. Mm-hmm. Um, I have worked with some families where they're deciding like, when's the best time to tell information and to share that, or or I guess in like the worst case scenario, share that they are adopted. <laughs> That's probably not ideal. But with my, with my situation, it was always, it was never a secret. 
partly because we looked very different. It was kind of my sister and I against the world. That's how it felt kind of in our own little kid brains. So, and I think that was, that was probably partly the purpose of my parents adopting me after my sister. Um, they didn't have any other children. So it was just my sister. Then they chose to adopt me and they had thought about going a third time to adopt a boy, but then other circumstances arose that they couldn't get over there um, and do it. But um, so my sister and I were definitely Asian and then my parents, they're Caucasian. So it was, there was no secret with that, but even apart from the looking different, as as early as I can remember, it was just my mom reading to us every night, different stories and choosing. I can't even remember the the names of the books. My sister would be able to remember, but um, choosing books that were very pointed towards like adoption and families looking different or um, having, yeah, like having someone in your heart that you're that's not related to you or having someone that you love be far away, even mm -hmm. things like that. And I think that was very, that was important. So the word adoption, I knew at an early age and it was, it was like, um, yeah, it wasn't like a weird word or like a new yeah. thing for me. Um, one way, and I have told many other people this as I work with them or in like other interviews and whatnot, it's kind of funny. One way my mom would explain adoption to us was using this the song in Tarzan. Um, we watched Disney, of course, in Tarzan. And there's lots of like lost themes <laughs> in Disney. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Lots of like Lots of people losing parents and loved ones in those Disney movies. But one of them was was Tarzan and and the song, You'll Be In My Heart. That song, my mom, we loved the soundtrack. We loved Phil Collins and we listened to it all the time. But that one song in particular, I think one time my mom said like, this is like you and I essentially referring to herself as the mama gorilla and Shauna and I, my sister and I being little Tarzans. And she said, this is our, this is like our song. Cause you're always in my heart, even if we look different. And so just movies like that and songs and stories, they, they used heavily when we were growing up. I love that. And it sounds like it was a really open dialogue. It was. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So did you feel comfortable bringing up any issues or any concerns you had? I did. Yeah. I don't know about my, I, I don't yeah. know about my sister. And, and I think that adds to just the fact of every, every person who's had adoption as part of their story, they just process it so differently so and in their own time. Cause I was just, I'm just this external thinker and processor anyway. And I wear my heart on my sleeve. And then my sister was very, um, not that she didn't have questions, but she just like more like keep to herself or she, and so what my mom would do, she, if I had a question, she would kind of assume my sister's thinking it too. And so she'd make sure to answer my questions while we're both in the room. <laughs> so she tried to, she tried to do it that way. Cause yeah. And you, and you can't like force someone to think about something they're not thinking about, but at the same time, like you have to wonder, she might be thinking about things, just internalizing it more. But I was definitely the external processor and had questions, but I felt comfortable and I felt safe to like express them. Um, yeah. That's great. So you mentioned that adoption has changed um, in the years since you were adopted, but mm -hmm. I'm wondering what your experiences have been regarding searching or looking for your biological family. Um, I haven't done any formal searching as far as hiring someone because yeah. that's kind of in my situation that's kind of just the route you need to go if you want to have any 
slim chance of it. And so what's interesting, I think it was after like maybe 1998 or early 2000s, China started requiring people to post finding places in, in the newspapers or finding ads. And so that I just missed that. Um, when I was born in 1996. And so I think there's more opportunity for people to like hire someone to look up their finding place article in the newspaper because that became a requirement. And even just knowing where you were found, I feel like is huge information, mm-hmm. you know? And, Cause even knowing your finding place, it doesn't direct you to birth parents, but it's still huge when you don't know anything. And so I don't really know even where I could go back to China to visit. I could go back and visit my orphanage, but to but even the chances are so slim to go back and just kind of find f- factual information of where I was left. So what I was told is that I was left in a busy hospital. Um, but then I watched a documentary and, and then I learned, oh, even that could be made up. So then I was like, oh, so even the stuff I know, oh. it may be not even true. It was kind of heartbreaking and interesting at the same time. But to answer your question, what I have done is I've done a DNA test. Um, and, and when did I do that? I guess I did that a couple years now and, and how, and I did actually pay extra to have, um, my health information. Cause I had, I knew nothing. And I learned a couple interesting things about my health, nothing like dramatically scary, which is good. But, um, as far as like connections, not, no matches have been made that are like closer than maybe a like fourth cousin. Okay. Um, but it's one of those things that keeps updating as more people put in their DNA and and search. And so every once in a while, I still check it and I'll get like email notifications. So there's kind of like, I'm still hopeful. Um, I I don't know if this is the, the not romantic in me or the, the fantasy person in me, but I just like, I do want to know my birth parents yeah. have a relationship. There's been times where sometimes I... I wish I could just see a picture of them and hear and watch a video of them or like have that imaginary power to like be invisible and just observe them before I decide to like form a relationship because I know realistically there's a language barrier and just you don't know how they feel and you don't want to disrupt their whole their whole life and whatnot so so there's there's that piece of me that definitely just wants to like observe and I think a lot of my questions that are in that are in me could be answered just by seeing a picture of them and hearing their voice and watching a video of them. Yeah. You know, just that basic stuff you want to know that most people don't ever question. Like, who do I look more like? Where did I get my singing from? Um, yeah, honestly, those are the two main questions. I wonder where did I get some like gifts and skills from? And then like, who do I look like? Or what do they look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those are really innate, important questions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you work with other adoptees. So what advice do you give them when they're searching for birth family? So this actually has been the topic within the adoption realm that I struggle with the most when I help people, just because it's one of those things I have no, I haven't been able to experience it. So my mind's not even like thinking in that way oftentimes, but what I, in thinking about this question beforehand, beforehand, I I would, I definitely encourage people to just um, in general, know themselves and be self-aware, know their, their triggers 
um, know their expectations of what they're hoping to find. If, if it's to like fill a certain void, which, which we all have being in the adoption setting, like know that it's filling a void and that maybe that void might not be able to be met or that it will be met in a different way than you're expecting. So really know your intentions in every step of the searching process, know your intentions, know your expectations, um, know your triggers. It doesn't mean if something does trigger you to stop it, just, just knowing how to address it if something, because it will come up definitely. And I think when people don't cope, they're actually coping just unhealthily because <laughs> you're always going to cope somehow. It's just being intentional to do it healthily or unhealthily. Um, and then, and then also I would just, this is something that really helped me kind of creating this narrative of caring for yourself at the age that the trauma happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be really helpful when you're in some really hard scenario of a step-by-step -step searching process, or if you do somehow form a connection with birth parents, it's kind of like you as your adult version is like, yes, I'm ready for this. But then we also have that kid in us that might not be ready or that we just need to attend to. And it's kind of weird. It's almost like you have to see it's you have to see yourself, see your kid self or baby self whenever that trauma happens. See that as outside of yourself and care for that person. That's still you. I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. Great advice. Mm -hmm. So, what have you struggled with regarding adoption, and what do you wish other people understood? Oh, this one. This one was a hard one for me because I think um I think just the basis of feeling different from people mm -hmm. but not really knowing how to put that to words because at the end of the day if I look at the grand scheme of life and everyone's adoption stories we should never compare stories but it's hard not mm -hmm. to sometimes and I think I have a really great situation so who am I to like be be feeling who am I to be victimizing myself? You know what I mean? Essentially, but that's not, I've learned that's not really how I should be thinking <laughs> about it at all. But I think the biggest struggle for me has really just been feeling different, um, internally feeling different from people all the time mm -hmm. and not really knowing where that came from for the longest time or having it act out in like negative behaviors in like middle school and high school and not really understanding that it was connected to something else. So like in middle school and high school, I said all the time to my parents, I don't understand, or like, you don't understand. No one gets me. That mm -hmm. was it. No one gets me. No one understands me. And then my parents would be like, well, we want to understand, help us understand. And it would turn in this big fight. And eventually it, it really came down to me. I don't understand myself. And my, it was kind of like a cry for help. Me saying, no one gets me. It was really saying, I don't get myself and I don't know what's wrong with me or what's different. So I think that was the hardest. That was the biggest struggle was feeling. Yeah. Just the grief and the sadness or feeling sad or overdramatic when I wasn't really overdramatic. It was just this like deep grief that I didn't know where it came from. Sometimes I would wow. just like cry at night. Wow. You know? And my mom saw that as anxiety as a kid. And it was anxiety, but then now since I've been doing like more deeper adoption work in the past two years, my mom, my mom and I have had really good conversations. And she did tell me at one point, 
um, she took me to the doctor because I just felt sick to my stomach all the time. And, and she thought something was wrong with me physically. So she took me to the doctor and it was really, and I checked out like physically, I was very healthy. So she was like, I don't, I didn't, she didn't know what it was. And she told me within the last couple of years, it was, I think it was anxiety and you just missing your birth mom. And my, but it like came out in like these physical symptoms of feeling sick to my stomach. Cause me as a, as a seven-year-old or so didn't notice say like, I feel anxious and sad about birth mom. <laughs> it was just, um, I, I don't feel good. I feel sick. I don't feel good. And my mom didn't really know quite what to do with that. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what would your advice be for how the adoption community can be more supportive of adoptee youth? So with youth, it's really, it's really interesting. They're in such a unique and, and fundamental or pivotal, I guess is the word developmental stage. Like they're, they're in this stage where they're, they're needing not just wanting, but needing to form other social connections outside of their own family. And so that can either be done poorly and unhealthily and finding love in the wrong places, um, having secret relationships, whatever, sneaking out, or it can be done well, just wanting to have more friends and then maybe not wanting to hang out on a Friday night as mo- as much with mom and dad, you know? And I think sometimes parents get like shook by that because they're like why isn't my teen like hugging me anymore or wanting to spend as much time with me and it's actually completely normal (laughs) that they're that they're seeking other connections but I think what um but I think what adds to the complexity for those who have been adopted is that identity piece that they're trying to find with other people has already kind of been like stunted with with them I don't even know really how to word it but it's just it just adds much much more layers and complexity when they're adopted and coming from a different culture and a birth family missing people who maybe they've never even met because that's like that's such a real feeling (laughs) feeling like you don't really belong anywhere when you're in this like developmental stage of wanting to belong and needing to belong and finding people that you can connect with outside of your immediate family. And I think just understanding that fact, I think is what could support adopting youth. Understanding what's normal development for teens, because some people don't even know what normal development is. They see it as them pushing away when it's not really them pushing away. They're actually doing what they're supposed to do in this stage. Um, like not pushing away, pulling away or like yeah. gravitating towards other people. Um, so understanding and being educated and just normal development for that age, but then understanding also like that that might look different and a little harsher sometimes because of their trauma and their past. And also understanding that even they might be at this social developmental stage, but emotionally because of their trauma, they might be lower. So so understanding that they could be having many different ages within different within different parts of their life like cognitively lower here emotionally lower here but maybe what i call have the street smarts and the and the outward maturity because they've lived a lot of life already of like a 25 year old but they're only 16 so just understanding that it can be like this puzzle <laughs> this yeah. puzzle of yeah so and then just empathy i think a lot goes a long way for a teenager for someone to mirror their reaction to something and like still an appropriate way. I think 
some people don't want to encourage like the attitude of a teenager but I think like acting annoyed with them about something or be like wow I can really feel you're annoyed or yeah they shouldn't have done that like just kind of like mirror like having them it's more about feeling heard than knowing how to fix something that's yeah. really what mm -hmm. I love that that validation yeah and I'm just saying that because I needed that <laughs> it's like it's like close personal like relatable feelings that I have with teens <laughs> which is probably why I like to work with them mm -hmm. oh, that's awesome all right so what do you think some of the challenges are of being an international adoptee um being an international adoptee I think it's the the well you look different obviously just the having having your your ethnic your um ethnic background and then like who you feel like you what culture you feel like you are versus what culture you were raised in having that is really complex and difficult um it's and i've seen i've seen some families that our culture within a culture so like me being around the Lancaster area there's a lot of like Mennonite families and that is a very interesting and unique culture within just the American culture and so when they've done international adoptions it's like even more layers <laughs> to it so I think that is a challenge the other challenge that I don't know if people um, think about as much if it's an infant adoption um internationally there's also or just not internationally just an infant adoption I think sometimes people think there's not as much trauma with that which is actually what my dad thought he he was kind of apprehensive to do adoption because he had adoptive siblings and it and it had gone terribly wrong um he saw like the real horrors of of the situations and so he was really adamant to adopt a baby and have like a closed adoption <laughs> it's very interesting because he didn't he didn't know that there's still trauma just from the removal of just severing that attachment with birth mom that's a yeah. huge trauma and so I think people understanding that and I and I know it's not all infant adoptions that are international but I think that is um common yeah people to adopt infants internationally mm-hmm and growing up in Pennsylvania, I imagine it's not um, incredibly diverse where you grew up. No. And so yeah, it mm -mm. sounds like your parents were obviously doing the best they could. But um, do you feel like you had racial mirrors or um, any special mm. attention paid to your culture? Yes. So my parents trying to do the best with what they knew. Yeah. They, they would... Um, we would have these group of families that we would get together with at least once a year, maybe even twice of doing, um, well, one of them was Chinese New Year and then just maybe another get together with other Chinese adopted families. So that was great. And I'm still close to at least two of them. Cool. Um, and then another really, so it was more, it was more just finding other people in the same boat as us, not necessarily like having us learn the language um, I'm sure if we wanted to, we would have been able to. My mom would also, she would try to 
she's not a cook. So unfortunately, and I love food. So, so unfortunately food wasn't much into like, um, they didn't really express the culture with food much, which I think could have been really nice for me growing up. Um, but they did like, we would watch like documentaries. And at the time, my mom, my sister and I kind of like groaned watching them, but it was very, it was actually really good. So it was hard for them to know, like, what do we just kind of like thrust into their learning yeah. because we know it's important versus like let them lead at their pace. Like that's always really hard to, yeah. to navigate, but, um, but yeah, I'm still close to, to actually one of the, or I still keep in contact with one of the babies that was from my orphanage. Cause my parents wow. went to, um, they had an adoption group that they went with and one of them, um, I don't know. I don't, we, we say we probably shared a crib with one another, but we probably didn't, but it's just knowing that you still know someone that was in your earliest stages of life, even though they're not biologically related, I consider her like sister and we don't talk all the time anymore, but that was, that was huge to still know that person and my parents having us get together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very Mm -hmm. cool. So do you think that your adoption experiences have influenced your career path? I would say yes, most definitely, but not necessarily intentionally yeah. <laughs> at first. So I, I chose to do social work with the intention like far down the line. Um, thankfully, I'm getting closer to the end of the road, but to be a counselor someday. Yeah. And so I'm working towards my clinical license right now, but So I went the social work route to try to get into the mental health counseling route, which was a long journey in itself, but I didn't have the intention of working with adoptive families specifically. I just knew I I cared about people and I wanted to work with people and help people. Um, And so that's why I went into social work. But then I, it was kind of a, a mistake almost. I had a my master's level internship was supposed to be at one place. And I actually, I didn't get that um, for a really silly reason on my part. It was, yeah, it was very, it's a funny story in itself. But then because I didn't get that one internship, it led me to another internship, which was an adoption agency. And I was like, sure, I'll do, I'll, I'm interested in working with that. I mean, it's a part of my story. I, yeah, I can help them out, but it really challenged me in my own stuff. And that was only in 2018, 2019. So, so all that to say, I've really only been really digging deep into my own healing and story for the past three years, three Um, years, three, three years now. Um, and so, yeah, so it wasn't intentional, but then through that internship, it, it sparked this interest and desire and yeah. Very cool. And I love what you do. So can you tell us about your work with CORE? Yeah. Yeah. So in that internship that I had for my master's level work, I got hired at that agency. And then I started, it was actually working with adoptive families after adoption. It was called post-adoption support. And I loved the job. I loved, but my favorite part of the job was really working with 
the teenagers. I would be able to, it wasn't really part of the job description at the time, but I, I, <laughs> I made it part of my job where I would meet one-on-one -on -one and do some mentoring with the adoptive teens as part of just their case manager, but it wasn't therapy. So it was allowed. <laughs> and so I would do one-on-one -on -one meetings with the teens. And then I started doing support groups as part of the role. And then when I decided I wanted to switch occupations to really find a job that was more clinical so I could go towards my clinical license. I was like, well, on the side, I could still work with adoptive families. And so I decided to start and, and with having certain voices speak into me and be like, you'd be really good at this. You should, cause it's not real. I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, so it was just very like, okay, the right voices speaking into me. I can do this. I have a passion for it. Um, and it'll challenge my own journey too. It'll continue to challenge me. And so that's how I started core of adoption. Um, I just got, I got my LLC and I started it last year um, in June. And so it's been, yeah, it's only been one year of doing it. But what it really is, is I do two services. One is um, support groups for teenagers who have been adopted. And then the other is one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so, and then on the side, I have, I'm employed with another job to do as a therapist. So I keep it, I keep it very separate. I have my therapist hat and then I have my coaching hat, but I, I secretly like love the coaching aspect because with that, I can share my own stuff too. It's not as like, um, rigid. That's really <laughs> like cool. Therapist. Yeah. Yeah. And you said that you do work with people online as well. And so, yes, yes, definitely. All the support groups are online. Very mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, so we'll have all of your information in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Cool. Great. So awesome. All right. So what kind of support do you want to see for adoptees, particularly teenagers, in the future? I I love things like this. Um, things just to amplify voices more. And, and it's so funny because people really like to to tell other people what the adoptee experience is like, but they're like, okay, but what are you? You're an adopted parent. Oh, you're just, you're a caseworker. And like, you're all part of the puzzle of the whole journey but. for sure. But, but just having, having the adoptee share what the experience is like for them is huge. It's huge for them because they're be, being able to feel heard and understood and listened to. And then it's huge for other people to either relate and it resonate with them or then be like, no, that that's really not a part of my story, but I can feel for you. Like yes. it, it, It's really both pieces. It's kind of, it's huge. So it might sound like a simple answer, but it, it's, and it's starting to be done more, but just to continue like pushing that, um, yeah, that, that aspect of letting people share their their story and not just share the story, but share the story their way. That's a huge thing I like to do with core. It's not just your story, how you were told to tell it by your parents. It's your story, your way. And it could be through like writing a book. It could be through like writing music about it or doing artwork through it. It's really telling your story, your way. Um, and then one other resource that I was thinking, it would be really cool if more people could do, um, stuff like coaching, <laughs> like, like I'm doing. And then 
also not just coaching, but mentoring. I, I call, I don't call what I do mentoring because I know I can't like stay long-term with people for so long and have that like close, close relationship with everyone, even if I wanted to. But if you could find another, um, young adult adoptee for a teen who's like in that stage of life local to them and really meet with them one-on-one and walk them through high school and college and like they're them getting married like all of that that would be ideal (laughs) if everyone could have that so having more of those mentor roles alongside with therapy but really having those mentor roles where the person can like share their lived experience with one another and yeah yeah, that's, that's an amazing true. idea. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. So this next question uh, is in there because my husband and I have been trying to find a therapist for our daughter who's adopted. Um, and we found a therapist and he's great. But their first meeting together, um, he was asking her all these questions about adoption. And my daughter is darling. She's on the autism oh. spectrum and she's she will tell you what she thinks. And and so he just kept saying, so how do you feel about not having your real parents in your life? And my daughter was just so mad. And she was just like telling him over and over, like, I have my birth mom in my life and I have my parents. And she just really didn't like how he was talking about it and was just getting so mad. And she didn't know how to express it anyway. It was hard. But so hard. Yes. And of course, I'm in the corner just like, I don't know what to say. I don't want to be like that intrusive parent that's like not letting Mm -hmm. my kid feel their feelings. Yeah. So, right. so do you have any tips on how to find professional support like therapy or counseling or whatever for adoptees? Yeah. Well, so it's funny because I wear the two hats of like doing coaching and doing like my own thing, but then on the side, having the job of being a, a clinical therapist and, and I see how I'm different, but yet still the same person in the two different roles. But I, I would encourage finding someone who is legitimately trauma-informed. Yes. And I'm speaking against myself because I'm not officially like trauma-informed where I've like taken courses and whatnot. So I'm kind of like saying, don't come to me for therapy, <laughs> but really like someone who's like trauma, like legitimately trauma-informed. And ideally, if they, if you need to do like attachment work with the parents, having someone who's trained in attachment therapy because you can't improve a parent-child relationship if parents aren't involved in the therapy process but if it is the child that just needs their own space apart from the parents then really make sure it's with someone who likes working with that age group that they're at (laughs) whether it's teens and or whether it's children um but overall, just finding someone that's trauma-informed and attachment-based. And it's a plus if they like teens, if you're a teen. And it's a plus if they have adoption as part of their story in some way. But it's hard to find that. And then along with that, finding someone that you just jive with. Yes. <laughs> that you just like as a person. So it's, it is really hard. I feel like I didn't answer that question with much hope. But there there are people. There are people out there. and it and And I think... And it just takes time finding the right person. Yeah. It does. But like asking good questions, like what model do you use? And and here's just a tip, like one model that it doesn't work for everyone, but one model that worked for me as an adoptee, and then I have seen work with other adoptees or people with trauma in their past would be the, um, it's called IFS. Okay. It's called internal family systems. And when 
my therapist in 2019 and I've been to like five therapists before that, but this therapist was the first one that was like, I was like, aha, they're getting at the root of the problem. <laughs> um, she used IFS with me, internal family systems. And what that was, it's also sometimes called parts work. Um, and it's kind of what I was saying before, where you have to see the baby in you or the child in you apart from yourself and care for that. Cause we all have different parts of ourselves, but finding a therapist that can help you say different language. Like when you're anxious, instead of saying I'm anxious or I'm stupid, you would say instead a part of me feels anxious or a part of me doesn't feel very smart right now because it, it really like brings your mind back to the reality that you're not anxious all the time that's not who you are that's just a part of you right now in this situation so that's the basis of IFS but then deeper work with it would be really exploring different parts of you that have been hurt that are protecting other parts and you need to like care for each one of them appropriately wow. and that changed my life I mean it's really hard work it's deep work it's not for all like ages necessarily but um it worked for me as an adoptee who'd been through trauma. That's awesome. That's some great advice. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> All right. So what do you wish the adoption community understood about challenges that adoptees face? Hmm. I would say the, the identity piece, the feeling different and the identity piece, the piece that I said I struggled with. Um, also just the, the, the grief and loss aspect of it. Um, people see it as such this, this beautiful thing, but it, it, it really starts from a place of brokenness yeah. and then working with a system that's the child welfare system. That's kind of broken to help fix a broken situation. So it's just like brokenness on top of brokenness sometimes, even if people are trying to do the best they can and just really being honest that that's, that, that, that's the beginning of the story, yeah. but that, and I, and I don't think people can like that, that'll confront you no matter what, but if you can welcome it first, I think that's a good first step. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm I trying think to that's... think of any other thoughts with that one. Um, yeah yeah mm -hmm. I think that's great so would mm -hmm. you say that's probably what you think the biggest challenge is facing the adoption community as well I think I would say so <clears throat> I would okay. the other and then the other I just thought of something else the other thing that that is a big challenge for the adoption community is people not viewing what they went through as trauma mm -hmm. I think I think that's that's huge, but I, I would, I would like to argue <laughs> that, that those who have been through adoption or some like broken attachment at like a very young age, those people do not have what I call and what I've read as pre-trauma concept. They don't know what life was supposed to be like before the trauma, before something traumatic happened to them. Whereas in another situation, and I hate to compare traumas, I wouldn't recommend people to do that. <laughs> but but if someone got in like an accident or something, that's everyone would be like, oh, that's definitely trauma. They need they need yeah. a that they might struggle to drive again for a bit, or they yeah that's yeah. trauma. They need to do some counseling for this season of their life. So people would see that as a trauma. But with that person who got in an accident, they know they will have to like 
do some to do some self-help and go to therapy and like get back into driving but they do remember what life was supposed to be like before that trauma happened and with situations like this kind of going back to infants who have been adopted even if they went home to the to the adopted parents the day they were born in the hospital they still went through a significant trauma and even more so it's a lasting trauma. Now there's, there's, there's hope because our brains can change and shift, but it's a lasting trauma where they didn't have a pre-trauma concept to know what life was supposed to be like and a reference. So I think that's a big challenge. People and then people thinking they're just victimizing themselves or something or their, their pain and trauma isn't legit because it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those are great thoughts. So do you have any thoughts on actions we could take to help or to address or solutions? Um, Yeah. Kind of what I was saying before, just the continuation of, of asking people, asking people questions in like respectful ways, being honest, if you don't understand something, um, letting the adoptee be the expert of their own story. And then And also just like understanding that every journey is different. So even if you ask the same question to one adoptive um, teen or young adult or an adult, you can still ask that same question to someone else because the answers might be totally different. Um, Yeah, and just knowing the stories are different and that the stories will, um, their adoption stuff will confront them differently when they're going through different things in life. So you might be like, we already heard your story, Sarah. And I'll be like, I know I've told it before, but but it's different now because something happened. Like if I have a yeah. kid someday, I've already like told myself in my head, when I become a mom someday, my adoption is going to confront me in a whole new way. And just yeah. and understand that it's this lifelong thing and that's okay. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, we've done, I don't know, 57 episodes of the podcast so far. And ask okay. many similar questions. And it's yes. fascinating. I've never done an interview that I'm like, oh, this feels really repetitive with a oh, different. Really? No, never. And I mean, That's we do. But yeah, I mean, we do, to be fair, we interview everyone across the triad. But still, it's. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a great example coming from your perspective, who's yeah. like in this seat interviewing multiple people with yeah. like similar questions and seeing that it's across the. It's so different. Whole yes. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. All right. So if you could change one thing, a perception, a tradition, whatever, in the world of adoption, what would it be? Hmm. I think I think I mixed up my answers. And I think it's what I said before. Just the fact that it's a beautiful thing, but it's sad too. Yeah. And it starts from a place of grief and loss. And when you've lost something even if it's an idea or an expectation of what life was like because yeah. loss doesn't have to be just from losing someone or an item it, it could be a loss of a desire or an expectation yeah. um once you lose something you have to grieve it it's gonna be grieved somehow and then choose like how can we do it healthily so just the perception though that adoption is adoption is love adoption is beautiful I mean, I love adoption. I'm not on the other side of it where I just like, yeah, I, I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> I I do I do love adoption, but there's definitely this, 
I, I like to think that I can balance both pretty well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important to acknowledge that. I know when we adopted our third child, he came mm. home from the hospital and I think I was just more informed by then. This probably happened with all my babies, mm. but we brought him home and I just remember crying and watching him and just thinking he seems sad and he's a baby, like yeah. brand new can't like tell you how he feels but it was heartbreaking you could just tell he really missed his first mom and yeah it's it's real I think that's really important it is huge. Yeah. yeah yeah that's really great you noticed that okay. I'm sure it was sad though it took time to... but yeah it was sad yeah. and mm -hmm. it still can be sad I mean to see yeah your kids who you love and adore struggle and Mm -hmm. you can't always be the one to fill that void but I think it's important to acknowledge that and accept that yeah, yeah that's true yeah. I think it's great like the work you're doing I think it's really cool how like you can just like meet people on Instagram now and like have these opportunities to share and like hear one another out um yeah I just I appreciate what you and other people are doing in this work well, thank you so much. I really appreciate what you're doing. I'm so excited that we got to talk and learn from you. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
on social media. So we'll share with you right now some of the ways you can connect with her. Yes, you can go to her website. It is coreofadoption.net. So C-O-R-E, coreofadoption.net. Or you can also follow her on Instagram at core.ofadoption. Awesome. Again, thank you, Sarah, for your willingness to share with us and the adoption community. And thanks to each of you for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project. Thank you.